When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 374 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing upgrade culture and specifically what I do in my own home to prevent upgrade culture from overtaking us. Upgrade culture, of course, is that pervasive need to get the newest, the brightest, the sleekest, the coolest, the second the item hits the market. It should go without saying that we, as sustainable minimalists, as a community, we give upgrade culture the side eye. But that said, having children who are easily influenced by marketing and by peers and by everything in between, upgrade culture is really hard to ignore. So here today to help me parse out the ways in which we can all prevent upgrading incessantly is my husband. Today I'm interviewing Haig Safarian. He, of course, is my husband of nearly 12 years. He is the father to our two daughters, and he is the anti-upgrade king. Seriously, when I thought about who I would interview for this topic, I thought, great topic, who should I interview? There's no better person on the planet to interview (laughs) about upgrade culture than my husband. Hi, I am so excited after 370-something episodes to finally have you on the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. (laughs) I know that you really were hesitant about coming on and doing this with me, so I want to publicly thank you. We're going to have fun. You look a little nervous, but it's going to be okay. Why don't we start by you telling us about yourself, who you are, of course, but also, most importantly, the most pressing question of today, which is... What's it like being married to a minimalist? My name is Haig. I am Stephanie's husband. I wouldn't say I'm nervous, but I am looking forward to this. And what's it like being married to a minimalist? It's great. <laughs> I, uh, we share a lot of the same values in that sense. So I think for the most part, it's fairly easy. Let's talk about your values. You mentioned them a minute ago. A lot of listeners write to me and say that their partners aren't on board. Where do you fit in with the sustainable minimalist lifestyle? I've always been of the mindset that if something works, why not keep it? If it's doing its daily function, there's no reason to replace it. As far as values go, I would say that living as minimalist as possible and as sustainable as possible has always been 
at the forefront for me. But where did that come from? How did that value system evolve? Was it brought to you in childhood? Did it come along the way as you became a young adult into adulthood? Where did it come from? Did I force you into this lifestyle? Tell me more. I think part of it was instilled early on through parents, grandparents, so on and so forth, in just the way we lived and our values as a family. I can remember all the way back, as far as a young child, watching my grandfather repair something in the house that maybe had broken, or my grandmother reusing things over and over again until they really didn't function. And I think that came to them through the fact that they had grown up through the Great Depression and probably instilled in them by their parents and grandparents emigrating to this country way back when. Yeah. As you're talking there, I'm thinking about how most of us have parents, grandparents, perhaps even great-grandparents who lived through the Great Depression, maybe immigrated to America because of difficult times. And yet, so many of us have lost that repair make do do without mindset as the decades have worn on. So I'm wondering what is it about your family specifically that has kept the repair make do do without mindset when so many of us despite having similar struggles generationally have lost. And I'll leave that there. Let's move forward into 2023 and discuss what we're doing to try and stave off upgrade culture in our own home. Now, let's just set the picture for listeners about who you are and how you operate with stuff. Your cell phone comes to mind. How long did you have your last cell phone for? My last cell phone, I believe I had for close to 10 years. I uh, just recently replaced it. And when I went into the Apple store to replace it, I think a lot of the people there were wowed by the version I was coming in with. It still functioned, and it still did what I needed it to do, even though I couldn't upload new apps. And the map was sometimes a little wonky. It still made calls. It still texted. I still got my emails. So in essence, for myself, it still functioned. For some other people, that might not be a functioning cell phone, but in my eyes, it functioned. And that's why I waited so long to replace it. So you bring up a really interesting point there, which is that what I think you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the time to replace an item comes when it no longer serves its utility, when it no longer does what it was designed or manufactured to do. In the past, I've talked a lot about the concept of utility on this show and certainly in my book. And this is where, honestly, I feel as though I tend to lose modern folk in 2023. But every item has a fundamental reason for existence, for being made. A chair is meant to sit on. It would be time to replace that chair when it no longer serves its utility as a place for a human being to sit, right? It would not be time to replace the chair if it still works fine and we just no longer like the look of it. I think back to my own grandparents, this would not be a difficult concept for them to grasp, right? I know you mentioned your grandparents earlier. I can't envision my grandparents just replacing a big piece of furniture just because on a whim they no longer like it. They were much more frugal. They were much more resourceful. 
And I also have to say too, when it comes to the concept of utility, that I often talk about utility in the reverse. So when people are storing stuff in their basements for some day, maybe they're saving it for their kids one day, for their first apartment, if an item is being stored in your basement, it also is not serving its utility. If it's perfectly functioning, perfectly working, but it's just collecting dust in the corner, it's not serving its utility. So back to utility, you would definitely, like a platter, let's say, we have a platter in our kitchen, but it has a chip in it. You would keep that platter and keep serving food because it's still serving its utility. But a mug with a big giant crack in it in which it no longer holds liquid, that would be something that you would not just throw out. You would try and repair that. Can you speak more to your repair mindset? Yeah. If a mug cracks in half, I'm not going to throw it out initially. I'm going to see if those two pieces fit back together and if I can glue them back together and make that mug function again, then why not keep it? The bigger issue at hand is that in today's culture, a lot of people want the newer, shinier thing. So I heard the term performative wealth recently, which essentially is a term to describe the act of buying something or having something with the sole purpose of having someone else see you having it, right? It's like keeping up with the Joneses, having this, having that, having the newest this, the newest model that, so that other people see you with it. I say all that to say because upgrading often has a lot to do with status, doesn't it? We tend to, as a species, show how important we are or how wealthy we are or how cool we are by having the newest and the fanciest stuff. But you do not care about status, do you? Talk to me about that. I do not. (laughs) No, that is uh, one thing that I do not care about. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point that today's culture, today's society, everywhere you look, it's all about who has the newest, the best, the most current item. I'm not worried about looking fancy or having the newest car or having the newest item in my house. As long as the items I have function the way they're supposed to for my use, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Yes. I actually love your apathy towards name brands and fashion trends and looking cool. I mean, the car you're driving is a 13-year-old hybrid hatchback with a Thule on top. Like, I would actually say that in the past 16-ish years of us being together, your lack of care towards stuff and specifically performative wealth, that has rubbed off on me a bit. You've modeled for me that the true status, or I should say the true value of a person isn't what they don on their exterior. It's actually, of course, what's cultivated within. And we all say that we know this and we've learned this important life lesson, but you actually walk the walk. I hope that your modeling of this, again, important life lesson rubs off on our daughters as they continue to grow as well. I'd love to transition our conversation, Haig, to the things that we're doing intentionally and maybe just unintentionally modeling to our children in hopes that we stave off upgrade culture just like your parents and your grandparents did for you. 
The first thing I think that we do pretty darn well, and we're going to talk about the things we don't do well either. But the first thing I think that we are just killing it on and high five is we do not buy stuff for our kids just because. We do not upgrade their stuff just because they want it. We only buy stuff for them when there's a real need. And even then, if there's a need, we try to get it secondhand if possible. I'm thinking about, you know, the start of the school year growing up, and I don't know what it was like for you, but at the start of the school year for me growing up, my mother, she was lovely to do this for us. It was so kind and nice. But we would get new lunch boxes, new backpacks. We would get new clothes, like not a whole new wardrobe, but a couple new outfits, full outfits, new shoes for the season. I would say, Haig, we don't do that for our kids. Like the start of a new school year doesn't mean automatically the getting of new stuff. They only get new stuff if their existing stuff has completely worn out. Agreed. I think typically if we're getting them new stuff, it's pencils and a notebook and something that they truly need for that school year. If the backpack still functions and the shoes still function, aren't worn, lunchbox is still in good shape, then we're going to continue on that school year with those from last year. And to that point, we model caring for our stuff. You are always trying to repair something. If a cheap toy breaks, the kids know to come to you and see if you can fix it. They don't just throw it in the trash can. I mean, heck, I'm stripping and restaining furniture in the garage as we speak, right? Like we are about keeping stuff, refurbishing. It's just a part of the culture of our family. Yeah, I would say this is where YouTube comes in handy. You can pretty much find a video on YouTube to repair or fix anything out there. A lot of times the kids will come to us with a broken toy or something that needs fixing. And uh, typically you can figure out how to do it pretty quickly. All right, dear husband, we have to take our quick ad break. But when we come back, I want to talk a, a little bit more about the things we're doing right. But there are definitely also areas for improvement in this household. We are definitely not perfect. So I'd love it if you're on board, we can discuss our areas for improvement and we can just happen to record it and broadcast it across the world. That's okay with you. We'll do that after a quick word from our sponsors. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. 
As the total destination for decor and furniture, HomeThreads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back on today's show. I am interviewing my husband, Haig, about upgrade culture and what we do in our home to hopefully, fingers crossed, keep upgrade culture out of these four walls. Hi, during the break, we paused the microphone and we're talking. And what struck me was the realization that subscribing to upgrade culture essentially means resigning ourselves to a persistent dissatisfaction, right? Like it assumes, upgrade culture assumes that what we have isn't good enough. It's the opposite of being thankful for what we do have and what works. And so for me, and definitely for you too, just wanting something new isn't a reason. It's not a good enough reason to go out and buy it. And wanting a newer model of something we already have that already works isn't a good enough reason to upgrade. I want to talk to you about tech. So maybe you can break down for our listeners what we do with our children around technology. And I want you to do that because I feel as though upgrade culture really rears its ugly head when it comes to technology. The problem is that if and when we are upgrading our devices all the time because the constant product turnover of technology is so quick and so high, we are really doing a huge disservice to our planet, just upgrading their tablets to get new ones, upgrading their video game consoles, upgrading this, upgrading all these electronics. So tell us, what do we do in our home with regard to kids' tech? So I would say the biggest problem with technology today is, like you said, it constantly requires an update or an upgrade. As far as the kids go, they watch very minimal cable TV. And I think you turn on cable TV, especially a kid station for 15, 20 minutes, you're inundated with how many commercials in regards to toys or electronics and whatnot. And a lot of those things, it's the newer version or the newest version. So by not watching that, they're a little less prone to ask for those things. And at the same time, we typically try and keep tech as low-key as possible in the house. As far as the toys that they play with, the technology is limited. I think they have a toy camera, and that's probably as advanced as the technology gets for them at this point. To be fair, we do provide them on long car rides, like car rides over three hours and plane rides with each a tablet. However, they do not 
think the tablets are theirs. When I bought them, I told them that they're my tablets <laughs> and I am letting them borrow my tablet. So they don't just play with the tablets on a random Tuesday afternoon. They're hidden away and they come out only for really long car or plane rides. I say all that to say that they do not have unfettered access to tech, which means that for a lot of what we're talking about today, they don't even know about the newest and greatest that's out there because we simply just don't introduce them to it. Agreed. And as I said before, keeping technology at bay for as long as possible really helps in the grand scheme of things. I think also along the same vein is we just don't even suggest an upgrade as an option. I'm thinking about our oldest daughter. She's nine, Ani. She's going through this phase where she wants to rearrange and update her room. She really needs to have a sense of control over her bedroom. And so she's moved stuff around. She's taken down what she considers babyish artwork. She's really put her stamp on her room. And neither of us during her moving around her room transition ever said, hey, why don't we get new curtains? Or hey, why don't we replace the duvet cover? We didn't suggest it and she didn't ask because I don't even think she knows that's an option. I say all that to say that she feels very happy in her new and restyled room. She feels that way without having to have bought something new. Right. You can upgrade in many different ways. It's all about what through your eyes as far as how that upgrade occurs. Yeah. And we always talk about upgrading in 2023 as like going to the store and buying something pristine, but you can upgrade by accepting secondhand new to you stuff. Just last week, our neighbor brought over two gigantic bags filled with clothes. The clothes were not new, but the clothes were new to our kids. And it was like Christmas for them. Remember, they were so excited to have all these new to them clothes. There was no sadness that the clothes didn't have the tags on them. Exactly. That was a perfect example of something secondhand that they were just enamored with. It went such a long way, and it was such a minimal thing. Well, Haig, we need to talk about the area in which I think we are failing miserably. <laughs> are you ready? Ready. Do you want to take any guesses as to what that is? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Let me set this up by saying... We have one daughter, the six-year-old, the younger Lada. She is really pretty meticulous about her stuff. She cares for it. She puts her stuff away. She knows where stuff is. She doesn't lose it. And then we have our nine-year-old, Ani, who does not necessarily, I would say, care for her things. She loses water bottles at soccer practice. She leaves her socks at friends' houses. She leaves her jackets at the neighbor's. Sometimes we get this stuff back and sometimes we don't. And I'm mentioning the fact that she doesn't care for her stuff because when we lose stuff, we generally have to replace it. When we replace something, we're often upgrading it, aren't we, to like the newest or the best model. And so I feel personally, Haig, that you and I as parents, it's our responsibility to teach Ani to care for her stuff better so that we're not replacing it. Totally putting you on the spot here, but do you have any ideas as to 
you know, how we can do that because it's really frustrating for me as a parent to buy Ani a new package of socks and have those socks all be completely lost within, I don't know, a month. That is infuriating to me and that goes against the ideals that we're trying to impart on them. Yeah, this is a tough one. I would say we both have room for improvement here. You tend to resort to the path of least resistance in this scenario. They lose something and it's a necessity. It's a water bottle they need for school and you have to go out and get one that day. Otherwise, they don't have the water bottle for the next day. And so you fall victim to that. I think as far as teaching them, it just comes with repetition and constantly seeing those values over and over in the home. Yeah, I really love that you mentioned the path of least resistance there. You just hit the nail on the head. Usually what happens is Ani loses something that she actually truly needs. And the path of least resistance for me and you as parents is to go online, order what she lost, and have it at our doorstep with expedited shipping. And I'll be completely frank, we do that more than we should. That's the path of least resistance. Like with socks, do I want to have just one pair of socks of hers so every morning I'm like struggling to find this pair of socks so she can go to school? No. And so the path of least resistance becomes really enticing, let's say. But I think, and I've been thinking about this a lot, what we should be doing, Haig, is when she loses something that she needs, she should be replacing it with her own money. We've been working on chores. She's been working on saving money for something. I don't know what she's saving for. But how impactful would it be if she had to take $10 out of her piggy bank that she worked hard to earn to buy a humdrum, boring packet of socks? What are your thoughts on that? I agree. This comes with time, especially with children. Hopefully they see us modeling that behavior over and over again, and they realize, okay, things are important and I should care about my water bottle, for instance. They see that we're using things from 20, 30 years ago and realize that those things are still around as long as you take care of them and they still function. Hopefully that gets instilled in them over the years. And as they grow, I think that will hopefully become more and more apparent. The other tough part of this is that if you're trying to replace something that was lost, you can go on Amazon, have it at your doorstep the next day. In order to find, let's just say, a sweatshirt in a kid's size two second hand in 24 hours is typically a harder challenge. It's more difficult to find that item quickly secondhand or used as opposed to getting something new that's readily available. That's a really good point there. And we're lucky to have the in search of group in our, or a buy nothing group is what it's often called. We have a group in which we can say, we're looking for a kid size sweatshirt, size eight. Anybody have one? And if, and often when people say, yeah, we can just go and pick it up. But that takes much more mental energy, doesn't it? to acquire stuff that way, as opposed to just going to Amazon and upgrading. 
Amazon makes its money on being the path of least resistance. It does. It takes time and effort. And that's something that not everyone always has. So one more question for you, Haig, before we say goodbye. Our daughters are nine and six. You didn't have any sisters growing up, but as they, or I'm guessing, as they grow older, they're going to start to care about stuff more and more. Name, brand, clothes, shoes, etc. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there. How do you envision staving off upgrade culture with two teenage daughters? I think it's a give and a take. It's something that you try and constantly instill in them as far as values of the family. And really, at the end of the day, you have to play the long game. This isn't about a three or five year period. It's about a lifetime. And so as long as you instill those values over and over again, hopefully you come out on top at the end. Hi, I want to thank you so much for doing this with me. Again, I know you were reluctant, but I had a lot of fun and I hope you did too. I think we both had fun. This was great. Thank you. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 374. We do have an eco tip today, and it comes from my right-hand woman, Rachel. Rachel is the lovely lady who does a lot of the heavy lifting research for my research heavy shows. Rachel wanted me to alert all of you to the National Crayon Recycling Program. It's the end of the year. Our kids are bringing home half-used crayons. As a reminder, crayons are a petroleum product. They take many years to biodegrade. And in the United States alone, more than 500,000 pounds of crayons are discarded every single year. So the National Crayon Recycle Program recycles unwanted and broken and rejected crayons into new crayons. For this program, you just collect the crayons. They can indeed be broken. You put them in a box and you pay for shipping to the National Crayon Recycling Program. I have linked to them in the show notes. Keep them in mind as your kids are coming home with backpacks full of broken crayons. I will see you on Thursday. Reach out if you need me and take care.